This is LCM. Pronounced local. Oh, living a creative life. I'm Rawat Majdi. And I'm Muhammad Sirul. We're creatives talking to creatives about what it means to be a creative. So get ready for some delicious conversations and awesome takeaways so that you can maximize your own creative life. Today we have Layla Al-Ammar. She is the author of The Pact We Made, um, published through Borough Press in 2019. Um, And Silence is a Sense, also published through Borough Press and Algonquin in 2021. It's going to be released. She is also author of of multiple short stories and bits and bobs. She's a voracious reader and she's jealous of her house cat. Layla, welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Leila, why are you jealous of your house cat? <laughs> <laughs> she has such an she has such an easy life. I mean, there's no expectations of her. Everything is laid out and prepared. She's always got someone to scratch her behind the ears. What's not to look, to be jealous of, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Now I'm jealous of your house cat. <laughs> they have it easy. <laughs> So Leila, you are a writer now with two published books. I find that absolutely amazing. One published and one to be to released. Be published. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> technically not published. Not You're yet. Right. Um, how did you become a writer? I would love to learn more about you. Okay. Um, well, I grew up here, and I went to public school. So, um, I mean, the government schools are not really heavy on the arts, but my mother, who's American, is a huge reader. And so from the time I was a kid, she was always pushing books on me and reading to me. And um, I guess when I was about nine or 10, I started choosing my own books and reading what I wanted to read. And then that kind of gradually turned into me wanting to write my own stories. And I guess I was about 12 or 13 when I started writing. And it was just like little tiny things, you know, like little scenes, silly little stories. Um, and it was just a hobby. I At that point, I wasn't thinking, oh, I want a book on the shelves in a bookstore. It was just what I liked to do. And my mom was the only one who ever read them. And of course, she was like, oh, you're amazing, honey. It's <laughs> awesome. I love it. Um, and then I guess when I was in college, I started writing for Bazaar magazine, just like interviews and reviews of things and um, stuff like that, like articles. And I was still working on fiction, but it was still just a hobby. That's all I wanted. It was just something to do in addition to all the reading that I was doing. And then I guess it wasn't until early 20s, I guess when I, when I graduated from college that I thought it would be kind of cool to have a book on the shelves. It would be kind of cool to be published. And so I started looking at my writing through that lens. It was no longer just a hobby. It was something that I wanted to do something with, that I wanted to achieve something with. And I started being much more serious about the craft, reading um, books specifically about writing. And I started looking into writing courses, you know, the possibility of taking a summer course, things like that. And I was working a corporate job at that time So, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of time, free time in which to go on these courses that I wanted to go on. Right. And my job was incredibly stressful. And so during about four years of working, my creative output just plummeted Mm. and got almost nil. I mean, for about four years, I wasn't writing anything. And I really felt the effects of that. Like, 
psychologically, mentally, I was incredibly anxious all the time. It, I, it just did not feel good. And so it reached a point where I was like, something needs to change. So I quit my job. And well, before I quit my job, I got into a writing program. So oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't just quit my job and do nothing. But I applied to uh, a creative writing master's at the University of Edinburgh, got in, quit my job and decided, you know what, if I'm not going to take my writing seriously now, it's not going to happen. And I went. So that's amazing, honestly, Leila. Um, so it kind of like, there's an honest kind of like uh, uphill climb, I would say, from when you were a kid and you were reading and kind of consuming these books and like reading a lot with your mom. And then you started to um, pick up writing and then you got into, I, so there's kind of like an uh, honest, like a uh, progress towards your goals. And I think that's really amazing. Um, I would really love to learn more about how did your writing change after you decided, okay, I want a book on the shelf? Because you were saying it was a hobby, but how did you see your writing change in, in the way that you looked at it and the way that you produced it? I guess when it was a hobby, I wasn't very disciplined with it. I had that kind of idea, which I think a lot of young writers or artists in general have, which is, I'll do this when the muse hits me. Okay. You know, the muse has to come and then I will write. That's how I thought of it before. So you would wait? So I would wait and things would get dropped and I would start a novel but not finish it. I would start short stories and just leave them hanging because I was like, oh, I'm waiting for the inspiration. And going to do my master's completely wiped that idea out of my head. And it was like, no. If you show up in front of your computer every day or every weekend or at a set time, the muse will come to you. Like the muse will come. You have to. Go you have it. to discipline yourself. You have to be there. You have to show up, and the words will come. Mm. And so that's kind of the shift in my thinking and in my practice that happened, is that that discipline. Um, Lena, I'm I'm really curious about curious about your experience. Um, like back when doing your masters and mm. learning new things, like you've you tried to write by yourself. Yeah. But what happened after doing, you know, doing the masters? Doing your masters. I think it was, the the change was during the masters, to be honest, because before that, like I said, my mother was my primary reader, and you don't expect constructive criticism from your mom because <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's just always wonderful and it's always great. Uh, before I did my master's, I did join up with some online critique forums because I was very conscious of this idea that I need to get pushback from readers. I need to get feedback from readers. Um, if I don't want this piece of writing to exist just for myself, other people need to be included in it. And I need to take on board their opinions and their critiques about what I'm writing. And so I joined a couple of online critique forums like Scribophile. Scribophile was the main one that I joined. And I was on it for about a year and a half, I guess, or two years before my master's. Uh, but there's, there's dozens of websites. And that was a good way of getting your writing out to readers who are also writers. So they approach the writing craft in that way and their feedback can be enormously helpful in terms of the pacing character development 
themes, dialogue, all of that can be enormously helpful. And so that is when I kind of had a shift in my thinking about my writing. And then obviously when I went to master's, it was kind of stepped up even more because a big part of it was workshop critiques. So 15 writers sitting in a circle critiquing each other's stories in addition to my professors who were like award-winning writers. And so having that eye on your work really helps you to grow as a writer. I don't think you grow as a writer by just staying in your little bubble and not sharing your writing with anyone and just thinking it's perfect. It's not. And that's, that's how you learn. You learn from getting that feedback. So when it comes to the criticism, mm. I don't think it was easy for you, like to you know, like for someone like just trying to write, from the, mm. like at early age or maybe start, starting out. You know, what would you tell people who just starting mm. out and just got hit with the f the first criticism? Yeah. It's not easy, and you know, obviously, writing is a personal endeavor. It's just like any kind of art or passion that you pour yourself into, it's it's sort of like you're saying, here's my baby. And somebody is saying, your baby is ugly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not... Babies can be pretty ugly. They, they, <laughs> they can, but when it's yours, you know, <laughs> like you still love it. It's yours. Uh, and I think that it can be very difficult to accept that criticism. And you can feel like your ego is tied up in the work when it shouldn't be. I mean, to be a writer, I think you have to learn how to look at your writing objectively. Hmm. You have to learn to divorce yourself from this thing that you have created. Because guess what? Once it goes on the shelf, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Like the book that you guys pick up, you know, my novel, it's not mine anymore. It belongs to the reader at that point. And they're going to come to it with their own body of knowledge, their own perception, their own history, their own horizon of expectation. And I can't do anything about that. It's out of my hands. So why, you know, why take it personally? You're not going to please everybody. And take on board the criticism that's valid, that you think will make it better, and disregard what's not valid. Mm. But... I think divorcing your ego from the work is extremely important. And I don't know who said it, but somebody said you have to kill your darlings. And exactly. Yeah. I don't know who it was. You have to Google it. But somebody okay. said... Is it? <laughs> I'll Google it really quickly right now. <laughs> um, now. Now it's going to bug me. I'm trying to remember who said it. It's okay. Was Help it Ginsburg? It might have been Ginsburg. Alan Ginsburg. But it's true. Mm-hmm. You love you love your work. Or you can make your own, like kill your baby. Faulkner. It was William Faulkner. Was it Faulkner? Yeah. Really? I'm yeah. surprised by kill that. Kill your darlings. Or you kill your baby. In writing, you <laughs> must kill no. your You should have killed your baby. Right? <laughs> That's bad. But yeah, yeah, metaphorically, you know. Help your baby become more beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so bad. Um, Leila, your book, The Pact We Made, is a book about a Kuwaiti woman who is, as it says here, staring down the barrel of her 30th birthday. Mm. Um, it's a Kuwaiti story, or it's a story set here in Kuwait, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, I really love that because I don't think I've ever really read a book besides some local artists here mm -hmm. who have, or local authors here who have written a contemporary fiction novel mm -hmm. set in Kuwait. 
I'm wondering where you got your inspiration from and why you decided to set it here in Kuwait rather than write a contemporary fiction novel set in the States or mm. in, um, in the UK, as many authors do all the time. Um, well, there was no clear inspiration for this novel. It came out of a short story that I wrote during my master's. I never wrote about Kuwait, ever. Like, even when it was a hobby, I never wrote about Kuwait. And the reason for that is that writing for me was like reading. It was a chance to escape my frame of reference, mm. my perspective, my culture, my everyday experiences. It was a chance to inhabit other places, other experiences, and learn something. And I didn't think that writing a book about Kuwait would teach me anything. And that was a big part of why I write, is to explore and to learn things. So I never wrote about Kuwait. Um, but then my, my colleagues, the other writers on my, my master's program, were like, no, write something about Kuwait. We want to know something about Kuwait. Write something. And they just kept bugging me about it for months. They were bugging me. And so I was like, okay, fine. And I threw them like a little... 5,000 word short story um, set here and it was like at a wedding and you know it's to do kind of with marriage mm -hmm. and there was a positive response to that and then I kind of put it away and I graduated and that summer I started getting more and more ideas that were related to that story I started thinking about the characters more. I started seeing more scenes, and I started to think, hmm. The muse was dancing around. Yeah, it seems like there's <laughs> there's something here. Like my one of my professors said, sometimes short stories want to be novels. They don't want to be short stories. I like that. Um, I love that. Yeah. yeah, and and that happens when they just don't let you go. You know. So I ran with it. Didn't know where it would end up definitely did not think it would be the one that got published. I was just like, I'm out of my master's program. Let's do this. Let's try to get a full draft done. Let's see what happens. Um, and yeah, so I, the first draft, I wrote it, I guess, in like seven months and then spent the next three years redrafting it and rewriting it and fiddling around with it until we ended up with the one on the shelf, which is like the 10th or 11th draft of this wow. book. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Lots of work put into it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It looks nothing like the original wow. draft. Yeah. Amazing. So I guess the, what comes to mind when you say that you ended up writing something that ended up being in your environment mm -hmm. or in your frame of reference, um, you found out that you have to write what you know. Would you agree with that? I hate that piece of advice really okay I find it so problematic okay say more yeah to say write what you know is extraordinarily limiting okay I I've always kind of pushed against that because if, if every writer only writes what they know no one's gonna put out more than one book like that's gonna be it and so often write what you know becomes tangled up in write your own story which is already problematic for women because people tend to think that the novel you write is your biography. Mm. It's dressed up as fiction, but it's you. Like, that's what everybody thinks. Whether you're talking about academia or you're talking about reviews, just general reviews in the public, that's what they think, is that she's written her biography. 
And that's already a problem to kind of push against. And so when people tell you to write what you know, it kind of puts you in a box. And you're limited to my experience and my background. And like I said, for me, I like learning things when I'm writing. I love researching stuff that I did not know about and incorporating that into my book. And write what you know is, it's just, it's too easy. It's too, it's too limiting to me. So maybe the world is hungry then for a story about Kuwait or a story about this region. The world is always hungry for stories about places that aren't written about. Mm. I think in English, it's really just me and Mayan Naqib um, who've written internationally published books. She wrote... The Hidden Light of Objects, which yeah. is a collection of short stories, some of which are set in Kuwait. Um, so yeah, there's always going to be that, you know, let's re- yeah, let's read something about a place that we don't know about, right. you know. And where do you feel that it turns into um, exoticism, though? Do you feel like it, your book was? exotified like oh this book is about kuwait let's learn about the you know kuwaitis yeah i think by virtue of it being only the second english language book about kuwait i think uh please somebody correct me if i'm wrong i think that's always going to happen and i i certainly got that label when i was in the uk for the launch where people would be like oh this is a novel about kuwait and i'm like no 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 It's not a novel about Kuwait. It's a novel about a woman who happens to live in Kuwait. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the, no. The, the, there's this expectation of, oh, this is a novel about Kuwait. I can just read this one and I'm set. That's it. I don't need to read any others. And that's not how it works because you would never expect a novel from the UK to speak for all of the UK. True, yeah. You know, you would never pick up a book by David Mitchell or Hilary Mantel or you know Kate Moss and say this is the only book we need to know to understand the UK that's not how it works so it's simplistic to think that that's how it would work for Kuwait just because there aren't that many books out you know it's it's not that's not how it works I'm, I'm gonna have to take you back to the idea of um, like people here might think that the book is about you as an author yeah And there's an idea called the uh, the author's intent mm. of right like I'm just gonna talk about it a bit and if you agree or disagree please please okay. talk, talk to us about it and uh, that like each book as the author is actually a reflection of who he or she is mm. while writing do you believe in that do you agree or is is it is it completely detached like the, the the text that came out of the book the book the story Or the short? Mm. A reflection of the author at the time of writing? Yeah. This, 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 no. This, no? For me, no. I don't think so. Um, no, and it's such, it's such a dangerous idea to go down, you know, because you're hoping to put out you know, dozens of books in your life, knock on wood, you know, hopefully. And to say that each one is a reflection of who I was at that time, 
No, I don't think that's accurate. For me, I always, I always look at it as there's three parties involved when a book is out. Mm-hmm. There's the writer, me, <laughs> uh-huh. who has their own thoughts, their own opinions, their own background. There's the reader who, as I said, has their own background and their own thoughts and their own perception. And then there's the text. And the text exists on its own as an independent entity, independent of myself, independent of the reader. It exists as a creation. What you imbue that creation with or what you get out of it is up to you. So to say that, that I have inserted myself into the text in that kind of total way, Mm because reflection means it's me. In a way or the other, not specifically. No. No, No. you disagree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, friends of mine have said that at certain parts, there will be a bit of dialogue where they're like, oh, I could hear you saying that. It sounds like something you would say. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, fine. But to say that that's me or my state of mind at the time of writing, no. No, I don't think that's accurate. That makes sense, and I think... um, Especially when it comes to something that might be seen as like shameful or like aib also. Mm. It's kind of upsetting maybe when somebody tells you, okay, you wrote this about you or you wrote this about something that you've been through. Especially since the pact we made is about a woman who was uh, did not find somebody to get married to or was not married at the end of her 30th birthday, right? So do you feel like anyone came up to you and was kind of like, or do you have any stories about anybody who like related that to you in any way? No. Okay, so nobody did that. No, and I think maybe the reason for that is that it's so relatable. I mean, nearly every unmarried woman in Kuwait is going to tell you many of the things that happen in the story have happened to her, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And so especially here, I don't think anybody would say that that is something unique to me as a writer, okay. you know, and, and it, I don't, it devalues everybody else's experience as well to think that that's just me. It devalues everybody else. And when I'm writing, I'm not thinking about myself or my thoughts or my opinions. I'm trying to think of other perspectives. I'm trying to think of, because all of my characters are not the same. You know, you have a character who was in an arranged marriage and you have a character who had a love match and you have a character who's the mom who's desperate for her daughter to get married and and the father who doesn't really care and is like, it's fine. And the sister who did get married and had, you know, has her kids. And and me as a writer, I'm trying to inhabit all of these people, Mm -hmm. you know, so. So there's no way that it's only about you. I get you. Yeah. I'd go crazy, I think, if. If all of those were me. I'd be, a, I'd be a very odd person. I've, I've actually asked this question because um, I want to lead to a qu- another question that about character um, creation mm. when, it, when it comes to storytelling. So, so it's not a fiction of you, and you just try to think of others' others' perspective about how would someone think yeah. if this happened. Sure, is yeah. this that way, your technique when yeah. creating a character? Mm-hmm. Which reminds me of Stephen King um, <laughs> again um, <laughs> uh, his book that when he tries to think of the um, like the villain, yeah, okay, and he would say he would suggest like try to think of someone you love, mm. okay, and just qu- take it as the opposite of where you love something that you oh, wow. you get what I'm saying that you get a villain, 
That's interesting. You get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like he, like if let's say, I'm mumbling now. I'm gonna have to edit that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for the sake of the sake of creating a, a, a villain, okay, we're just gonna think about something like he's good, blah blah. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do yeah. that. He doesn't, but the villain is that you planning to make to create is quite we'll the opposite. All that. Yeah. Yeah. Is so it's not supposed opposite? to be you mm. uh, into, like, say, killing, blah, blah, you know? Yeah. You get what I'm saying? But yeah. this is something that you actually hate. So mm. you put it all in one that person. Well, I mean, villains aren't supposed to be 100% bad. That's kind of annoying. There mm-hmm. should be some, they should be both good and bad. You know, being just completely bad is, it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. To me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of character creation, I'm I'm not so prescriptive with that. And, you know, I know that there are writers who do character sketches and they sketch out their character's personality and what they look like and what kind of clothes they wear, what kind of music they listen to. And like they have boards on Scrivener. I don't know if you know Scrivener. It's mm-hmm, like a, a mm-hmm. writing tool. I, I used to use it, but I'm not tech savvy enough for it, so I abandoned it. But there's like a whole feature there where you could create your characters. I don't do that. Um, again, it's like outlining. I don't outline my novels. There's There's people who will outline every single scene all the way to the end. I find that too limiting. I find it prescriptive. I find it constraining. And so even with characters, I shy away from doing that i would rather learn about my characters as i'm writing them and i would rather i would rather write and figure out that i'm wrong and have to delete and go back than to decide from the outset what this person is i don't know what this person is i don't know who they are you're discovering you discover it through the scenes you discover it through them interacting with other characters presenting them with problems this is where you learn how the character is going to react for me, it's not something I can decide before I've written at all. That makes sense. And I think that, that that way you kind of come up with interesting, well-rounded characters. You know, you haven't already decided this person is cheap. This person is selfish. This person is generous to a fault. This person is... You haven't made those decisions yet. You find that out as you're writing. That's beautiful. Um, so I would love to hear more about... Okay, so you just mentioned that character creation um you kind of flush them out as you go along right you're yeah. not outlining them mm. and you also mentioned that you do that with the books as well how do you know that there's going to be an end to your book i don't <laughs> <laughs> i don't so you're just feeling it out huh i, I yeah i tried wow. i tried outlining i did and it never worked for me because i would I would plan it out and it would look like all pretty and nice on my mood board. And then I would start writing and it's like something is looking over your shoulder and you're Mm. like, I have to be there in two chapters. I have to be there halfway through the book. And you're just like constantly looking back and forth. I can't stand that because sometimes I'm writing and the the characters want to go somewhere, either when they're talking or the scene wants to go somewhere. But I'm feeling like, I need to be there in 4,000 words, and this is not going to get me there, so I better stop this and start going that way. I can't deal with that. It's like it feels too much like self 
restraint, like self-limiting. And Mm -hmm. again, like I said before, for me, writing is about learning something. And I feel like if I already know at the outset, I'm not learning anything. And I would rather discover it as I go along. Like for me, I always, there's, um, there's an EL doctoral quote. And he says that writing a novel is like driving home alone down a dark road with just your headlights on. Hmm. You can only see a few meters in front of you, but you can make it all the way home that way. And so that's kind of how I approach my novel. I can only see, you know, a few thousand words ahead of me, but I have to trust that I'll get there. And sometimes I go off on detours, like with my first book, there were about six or 7,000 words that ended up getting scrapped because I was just going down a dead end. But I don't consider it wasted because in those 6,000 words, I learned something about my characters. I learned something about the plot. I learned something, even though it didn't end up in the book. And it serves the end product in some way. So for me, I like to just... What's your editing process like? Editing is hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, editing is the worst. It's the actual worst. Yeah, it's... um, This is why, like, I think a lot of writers kind of shoot themselves in the foot as well is because they think and I think a plan like an outline serves this mentality of the first draft will be it Mm. it will be perfect and it will be awesome just slap a cover on that thing and put it on the shelves first drafts are crap they're always crap I don't care who you are Stephen King's first draft is crap I guarantee it yeah like the first draft is not the book that ends up on the shelves. Sometimes even the, the book that ends up on the shelves. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to say that yeah, because... But, but you can. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't going to say yeah, agree, it, agree, but... Um, but you know what I mean? So it's this idea that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot perfection on the first go around. You, you need to let that out of your get that out of your mind. It's not going to be perfect, you know? And the editing process, I feel is where a book becomes a novel it it might the first draft might not necessarily be a novel a novel meaning like the the narrative is there the themes are there it's it's working it's it's a novel versus just a book that you spat out you know what i mean the editing process is where that happens and to do that you need yourself obviously to, to look over your writing critically, to look at it objectively, to think, does the pacing work? Do the scenes make sense? Do the characters make sense? Their motivations? And then you also need other people, like I was saying before, to give you some feedback and some pushback, whether it's readers that you trust, or for me now, it's my agent, my editor. And they will come back with notes, and I will revisit it and and redraft it and edit and tighten things up and you know this is where it becomes a book a novel this is where it happens and for me that makes the drafting process more freeing because i don't have to think about all that stuff i just need to write the thing you know just need to get the bones down and then during the editing process Talk about writing. Nice. How, how many times do you sit and write, uh, Lil? Or how often? Like my writing routine? Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
most of my writing gets done on the weekend because I have a full-time job and I'm tired at the end of the day and I I can't go home and spend another two or three hours looking at a computer screen unless it's Netflix. Um, <laughs> Netflix doesn't count. Netflix doesn't count at all. <laughs> um, so most of my writing gets done on the weekends and it's usually in the morning. I'm an early bird. So I'll be up and at the coffee shop by eight o'clock, sometimes earlier, um, writing for a good five hours, wow. six wow. hours. Wow, that so, takes discipline. Yeah. Sometimes during during the week, I can look over the stuff I wrote and edit it and play around with it, but I don't tend to write new new writing during the week. The new writing tends to happen on the weekends. So you only write on the weekend? Yeah, and I don't edit as I write. There's a lot of writers who do that. Just who sit write. there and agonize over one paragraph. Yeah, it's just I, I, like, I feel you. No, I it's understand. like, dude, just get on with it. <laughs> There's time for editing later. Don't waste this time. Like, just go, <laughs> you know? So now how I did don't. You, how did you get into this habit of five hours a day of writing on the weekend? Like, I feel like that takes some kind of incredible amount of discipline. Yeah, it does. It's not. It's not easy. You know, I have to like say no to things that I would want to go to because I can't sacrifice that time for writing. Um, the discipline came again during my masters because I had to produce writing for the workshops and you have that external pressure of people are waiting for your email so that they can give you feedback so you need to write to that and I was very conscious of carrying on that habit after I left grad school and saying no I need to have a routine even if I'm not working on a project weekend is writing time I mean now I'm, I'm always working on a project but even before that weekend was for writing whether it was scenes or short stories whatever the case may be and it's just a habit that I've kept for the last six or seven years I guess so now it just feels weird not to be writing on the weekends mm. mm -hmm. wow so what's coming up next for you um well I'm editing <laughs> book two so book two has already like you said been bought in the UK and in the US but Again, what people think is that, oh, they bought it, so that's it. Like, just, it's done. No, it's not done. <laughs> my editor has notes. My U.S. editor has notes. And now I'm kind of getting their feedback on the manuscript and deciding what I want to change, how much I want to incorporate. Um, so I'm editing that, and I'm also working on a third novel. So um, about... 10, 15,000 words into it. It's still very early days. Beautiful. But yeah, amazing, Leila. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Where can, where can people find your books? Uh, is it on Amazon? Yes, it is on Amazon. It's on the HarperCollins website in the UK. You can get it in Kunikonia, I believe, in Dubai. I'm not sure if or when it will be sold in Kuwait. I'm still double checking on that. But um, yeah, just Google it and you can find out And if out someone would it. like to get some news, they can follow you on Twitter. Yes, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Layla Alomar, L-A-Y-L-A underscore A-L-A-M-M-A-R. And then my website is the same where I post some stuff. Not frequently enough, but it's there. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Layla. That was amazing. Thank you for You're having me. It was fun. And I loved it. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys.